Tonight on True Crime Island, we have another family murder, Welshman in trouble, a leap year technicality, and a serial killer is caught. I'm your host Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Tonight's show does have a bit of deja vu about it, which isn't good deja vu. But before that, in case you haven't heard, I am on vacation in amazing Thailand visiting the lovely Kate. So the next couple of weeks, I will still be bringing you true crime, but maybe the dates that the episodes drop will be a little different, maybe a little bit before, a little bit after is the normal day. And I will be doing a video while I'm here, so look out for that. Anyway. Back to the show. As you may or may not have heard, there was another family wiped out in Western Australia last week. Now, this is the third incident to happen this year. In fact, the three mass killings of family members has happened in the last four months. It started off in May 11th when Osmington grandfather Peter Miles killed his wife Cinder his daughter Katrina, and his grandchildren, Tay, 13, Ryland, 12, Air, 10, and 8-year-old Caden. A suicide note scrawled in pen and stuck on a window read, ex-husband Aaron Cockman to have house content, Peter Miles. Aaron Cockman, of course, is the estranged ex-partner of Katrina. He was shocked and gave some insight into what had happened. He said that even though the divorce was acrimonious with with Katrina, Cinder, Katrina's mother, had made things difficult. Aaron said, A lot of things that Kat did through the court process, I'm pretty sure wasn't her at all. Kat's mum said to me once, You'll see Kat will make sure that you and your parents will never see those kids again. Now, Peter Miles, the grandfather, had been acting a bit strange in the days before the killings and it could have been the pressure, financial pressure, of having to take care of not only his wife but also his daughter and her four children that finally made him snap and do what he thought was the only way to end the situation they were in. I did do an episode on May the 20th this year called Special Edition, The WA Tragedy, Graham K and More. So if you haven't listened, you can get more by listening to that. Then just two months later, 19-year-old Tecum Peterson Crofts was charged with murdering his mother Michelle and his 8-year-old brother Rua and his 15-year-old sister Bella at Ellenbrook in Western Australia. He has had several court appearances since And the last one on August the 23rd was adjourned until October 31 
as his mental health was still being assessed by doctors and a psychiatric report was outstanding. He's currently at the Franklin Centre at Greylands Hospital. Again, you can listen to my episode I did on this, which aired on the 22nd of July called Special Edition, Jeremy the Lawyer and WA Gone Mad. But of course, we'll have to wait until his court case, uh, well, if he ever goes to trial, we'll have to wait till that's done and dusted for the whole complete and tragic story to be revealed. Now, not long before Teakum allegedly killed his mum and siblings, there was the murder-suicide of John Edwards. Edwards went to a West Pennant Hills home and shot his son Jack, 15, and daughter Jennifer, 13. Their mum returned home from work about an hour later and was in shock at what she found. They were found in their bedrooms in the home they shared with their mother. The children were trying to hide in the bedroom and were huddled together when Edwards had opened fire. After an overnight search, police discovered Edwards' body at his home in Normanhurst, a suburb on Sydney's Upper North Shore, about five kilometres from where the children were killed. And now back in Western Australia, just four months after Peter Miles killed six family members, and just two months after Teakum killed three of his family members, we have yet another family wiped out. At Bedford in Western Australia on Sunday the 19th of September, 24-year-old Anthony Harvey walked into a police station and gave himself up. He told police to go to his Bedford home where they discovered the bodies of his partner, Mara Quinn, 41, their three young daughters, twin girls Alice and Beatrix, 2 and Charlotte, 3, They also found his mother-in-law, Beverly, 73. They apparently had been dead since September the 3rd. WA Police Commissioner Chris Dawson said, Police will allege a blunt instrument and knives were used in the killings, but no firearms were involved. Harvey has been charged with five counts of murder, On the 11th of September, he faced court wearing a t-shirt, jeans and no shoes. He's been remanded in custody until his next court appearance on September 19. Mrs Harvey's sister Taryn thanked the public for their well wishes in a statement issued via police that said the family was going through a dark and difficult time. Beverly was a kind-hearted, caring mother and grandmother and was always there for her family. She was very much family-oriented, and she loved her daughters and grandchildren, and would have done anything for them. Mara loved being a mum, and she loved her girls. She was so proud of each of them, and was doing a great job of raising them. Her girls were her world. Charlotte was an energetic, bubbly, confident little girl, who loved people and loved socialising. Alice was outgoing, adventurous and cheeky, while Beatrix was at time a little more quiet, but gave the biggest hugs. The neighbours had been a bit suspicious of how quiet the normally noisy household had been. They'd not seen the kids running around out the front for a few days. Anthony and Mara ran a gym's mowing franchise and Bev, Mara's mum, was always there to help with the kids. Now, this is a shocking story. 
But again, we'll have to wait until the court case is done and dusted before the full story will come out. So if you need help, please reach out to the relevant helplines in your town. In Australia, you can call Lifeline on 131114, Kids Helpline on 1800 551 800, Men's Line Australia on 1300 789 978, The Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467, Beyond Blue on 1300 224636, Headspace on 1-800-650-890, Q-Life on 1-800-184-527. Now, these people are there to help. Don't be ashamed to get help. We all need a helping hand at some stage. Okay, now, I'll just read out a little piece I came across the other day by Linda Tenenbaum. It's dated the 10th of August, 1999. Now, that's nearly 20 years ago. Now, she wrote, Sometime in the week beginning July 19, 1999, unemployed labourer Mark Heath drove his four young children, Sarah 8, Holly 6, Jack 4 and Caleb 2, to an isolated bush track around 250 kilometres south of Perth, Western Australia, and connected a hose to the car's exhaust. On Saturday, July 24th, all five bodies were found in the car, dead from acute carbon monoxide poisoning. The tragedy was all the more shocking because it came just three weeks after a similar murder-suicide. On July 3rd, 1999, 25-year-old mother of five, Barbara Ann Vizakovsky, took Mark 8, Twins Sarah and Luke 5, Jesse 4 and Jade 1 for a drive in the family's seven-seater van to a remote track in dense state forest bushland, 50 kilometres southeast of Perth. There she gassed them all. Nine months earlier, in October 1998, Ronald Jonker, 32, gassed himself and his three children, David, 7, Aaron 5 and Ashley 17 months on the northern outskirts of Perth. The 12 children could have been murdered by a parent in three separate incidents in the space of less than a year within the same region of one state. It's just crazy. She goes on to say, In the case of Ronald Jonker, bitterness and revenge provoked by his broken marriage and a recently concluded family court action in which he lost custody of his children, reportedly led him to kill them all. Barbara Vizakoski, journalist revealed, had a troubled childhood, gave birth to five children between the ages of 17 and 23, and had suffered the recent suicide of a close friend. Experiencing deep and untreated depression, a heated argument with her de facto husband on the morning of the killings, supposedly tipped her over the edge. Mark Heath's actions, it's argued, were triggered by fears for his children's safety. Separated from his wife and children, he had attacked a male relative who had allegedly molested his two daughters. Immediately after, he tried to stab himself. 
informed that he would not be admitted into the approaching trial and facing court action himself, carrying the possibility of a jail sentence, he decided to end his children's lives. So that was from Linda Tenenbaum almost 20 years ago. It's shocking and it is a bit of deja vu. I think the reality is that these types of tragedies do happen, they have happened and will continue to happen. Some say there is an element of copycat to it when these things happen all in a row. I Look, I don't know. It's not the way to sort out problems in your life by killing your family. And as I read out before, there are support services out there to help. But I guess sometimes when relationships get toxic, tragedy will come out of it. But our thoughts go out to all of the family and friends. Anyway, I will update those recent cases as the courts deal with them. Now, there was a post on Facebook the other day, not on the True Crime Island page. I forget where it was, but it asked, who do you think the scariest serial killer was? Now, I replied that I thought it was probably one that hadn't been caught yet. And so I read yesterday about a serial killer or alleged serial killer that was caught the other day. Now, this is from abc.net.au. U.S. Border Patrol agent charged in two-week serial killer murder spree. Texas authorities charged a U.S. Border Patrol supervisor with murder following what they called a two-week serial killing spree that left four female sex workers dead and ended when a fifth woman escaped at a gas station and found help. Juan David Ortiz, 35, an intel supervisor for the Border Patrol, was charged with four counts of murder as well as aggravated assault and unlawful restraint, Webb County District Attorney Isdro Alanas said in a tweet. Ortiz was arrested after the fifth woman managed to flee. State troopers found Ortiz hiding in a truck in a hotel parking lot in Laredo, a border city around 235 kilometres southwest of San Antonio, at around 2 a.m. Saturday. We do consider this to be a serial killer, Mr. Alana said. He said that after the suspect picked up the fifth woman, she quickly realised that she was in danger. When she tried to escape from him at a gas station, that's when she ran into a state trooper, Mr. Alana said. He said that the authorities believe Ortiz had killed all four women since September 3. The names of the victims were not immediately released. Mr. Alana said two of them were US citizens, but the nationalities of the other two were not yet known. All of them were sex workers and one was a transgender woman, he said. The manner in which they were killed is similar in all the cases from the evidence, said Alanis. Mr. Alanis declined to discuss the evidence or say how the women were killed. He said investigators are still trying to determine a motive for the killings. Authorities say they believe Ortiz acted alone. It's interesting that he would be observing and watching as law enforcement was looking for the killer, that he would be reporting to work every day like normal. Ortiz was a 10-year veteran of the Border Patrol. 
US Customs and Border Protection issued a statement saying that it was fully cooperating with the investigation. Our sincerest condolences go out to the victim's family and friends. While it is CBT policy to not comment on the details of an ongoing investigation, criminal action by our employees is not and will not be tolerated, the agency said. Wow, you reckon these are his first killings or he's been doing it for ages and has just been caught? I like the last bit how the criminal actions by our employees will not be tolerated. That's good to know. And like I said, it's the ones that we don't know, these serial killers that are out there doing their thing, that are the scariest because they reckon there's plenty of them out there people just don't know about yet. So what are your thoughts? Get on Facebook and let me know who you think is either your scariest or do you know someone who might be a serial killer? Now this is an interesting one, again from our ABC. Juvenile or adult. Leap Year Suspect Poses Conundrum for ACT Court The leap day in the year 2000 has caused a headache for Canberra courts after a girl born on February 29th of that year was charged with a crime committed exactly 18 calendar years later. The girl, who cannot be named for legal reasons, was being treated as an adult over offences allegedly committed on February the 28th 2018. As there was no February 29 in 2018, the ACT Children's Court initially found the girl had turned 18 on the day of the crime and should be dealt with in the adult court system. But the girl's lawyers applied for a review, arguing she should not be treated as an adult until March the 1st, 2018. The lawyers said that as a matter of logic, a person born on February 29, 2000 would not be 18 years old on February 28, 2018. In much the same way as a person born on February 2, 2000 would not be 18 on February 1, 2018. But as the Director of Public Prosecutions, which sought to have the girl dealt with in the ACT Magistrate Court, argued that reasoning was simplistic. Summarising the DPP's submission, Supreme Court Associate Justice Verity McWilliams said, The director submitted that a person's age can be determined by reference to the definitions of calendar month and month. Each year that the plaintiff had aged since 29th of February 2000 is measured by the passage of 12 calendar months. Substituting the definition of month, because there is no corresponding day three out of every four years, the twelfth month of every common year the plaintiff has been alive concludes on the 28th of February. However, Associate Justice McWilliam disagreed with that argument, finding the girl should be treated as a child in relation to the offence in question. She'd said that a person did not reach a given age until their birthday had begun or passed. It followed on that the proper construction of the law in question, on 28th of February 2018, the plaintiff was not yet an adult, being someone who was at least 18 years old, because she had not yet reached the beginning of the anniversary of her birth. It was only on the 1st of March 2018 that she became someone who was at least 18 years old. 
one I'm sure Dion and Jeremy would be very interested in. Remember the Last Man to Hang series I did a while back where the prison guard was killed and there was argument over when the act or offence of escaping the prison stopped. Was it once they'd cleared the prison grounds or later when they were still on the run? Certainly one for the lawyers to fight over. Anyway, she was lucky. I don't know what she did. Maybe tried to steal a birthday cake. Now, next. Look, this happened in 2012, but we need something to lift the show a bit. Two Welsh tourists landed themselves in court in 2012 after they got drunk and stole a penguin called Dirk from SeaWorld in Australia. Now, this is according to the BBC. Reese Owen Jones, 21, and Kerry Mules, 20, from South Wales, broke into the park on Queensland's Gold Coast, swam with the dolphins, and let off a fire extinguisher in the shark enclosure before making off with poor Dirk the penguin. When they woke up hungover and with a flightless bird in their apartment, they tried their incompetent best to care for him by feeding him and putting him in the shower. After posting pictures of themselves and Dirk on Facebook, they later re- they later released Dirk into a canal, but were spotted by locals who called police. A magistrate fined them one thousand Australian dollars. That's about six hundred odd pounds, and told them to drink a little less vodka. Dirk was rescued and reunited with his mate Peaches. As you know, they mate for life. Dolphin, what are not dolphins? <laughs> Penguins. They were also told to write a letter of apology to SeaWorld and to Dirk and Peaches. Magistrate Brian Cux has accepted an appeal not to record convictions against the two Welshmen because it would ruin their dreams of moving to Australia permanently. I don't know if we want you two dickheads here. But a big shout out to Paul from the True Crime Enthusiast podcast who this week, he did have a shocking case about a stalker. Check out his podcast. The story on this stalking is absolutely chilling. And speaking of Welshmen, oh God, are these guys going to be the Florida men or West Australia men of the UK? Anyway, this happened a couple of years ago. A criminal on the run took the ill-advised approach of taunting Gwent police when they posted a Facebook appeal to trace him last February. Logan James, then 19 and from Philly, was wanted for breaching his prison release terms after serving a sentence for wounding, affray, common assault and being in possession of a knife. So Gwent Police posted on their Facebook page a picture of Logan asking people to be on the lookout. Well, Logan, he saw this. He replied <laughs> under his photo. Ha <laughs> ha, catch me if you, if you can. Won't see me slipping. I've been walking around near my home, so they're not trying too hard to catch me. Logan was later caught that day walking near his home. Police thank Logan with a like and a smiley emoji. Well, there you go. couple of Welshmen there. Anyway, that's about it for this first of my vacation shows. As always, it's time to shout out to the new patrons. John McCallum. Hi, John. Thank you so much. 
Vicky Joseph has upped her pledge as well as Joanne Wormsley. Sorry, Joanne. Jason, thank you very much on the silver deck chair. Uh, so, look, thank you very, very much. A shout out to all the present and past patrons. It does make a difference and it is appreciated greatly. Also, we have a generous PayPal donation from Pinky Pink. Thank you so much, Pinky. As you know, True Crime Island is a listener-supported podcast. As I know, you don't like any of those ads. Same as me, I don't like them. To join the Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash truecrimeisland. Or if you just want to do a one-off donation, you can go to paypal.me forward slash truecrimeisland. Go there and help out the island. If you want to support the island in another way, rate, review and share the podcast. And if you have friends or relos that don't know what a podcast is, grab their phone and hook them up. If you want some merch such as t-shirts, hoodies, beach towels, mugs of rage, even tote bags, go to truecrimeisland.threadless.com where you can find a large range of official True Crime Island loot. But if you want keychains, lapel pins, koozies, I've got a few left, or stickers, you need to email me at cambo at truecrimeisland.com as I post directly from the island. The donation amount for this merch depends on what you want and where you live, of course. Don't forget to join the closed group on Facebook or hook up on Twitter and Instagram. The, the handle for both of those is at truecrimeisland. And for the Facebook group, just search for Facebook group True Crime Island. I do try my best to answer all posts and emails. If you really do need to speak to me, then email is the best, as sometimes I do get a bit lost in the Twitter feeds and all the Facebook stuff. Our amazing mods, all myself, will let you in. Hi to Jason and Sanger and the new mods, of course, Erica, Little Billy, <laughs> Little Pity. And Susan McNutt, who've joined to help out the island. Thank you all so much. So, that's about it for tonight. And lots of love to Maggie James. So, this has been Cambo, and you've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Bonfuckalunga! Bonfuckalunga!